Our Old Testament reading is a responsive reading from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 6. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they abide the soil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior has tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel of fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. In our New Testament gospel reading is that familiar passage in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for all they had heard and seen that had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to be looking at this very familiar passage, very familiar passage to so many of us, and really one of the most fascinating passages that we will look at in, in Scripture, fascinating narratives where we see, in essence, God taking the darkness of our reality here and peeling back that darkness and allowing us to catch a glimpse of, of what exists 
in the reality of the heavenlies, with the, an- the angelic chorus of the heavenlies and the glory of the Lord shining into, into the darkness of our world. Um, before we look at that passage, though, there's some things that we need to understand because that's a pretty hard to picture, hard to imagine thing for us because we are in this world. We're in these bodies. We're in the reality of this world. One of the things we need to establish is that this book, the gospel according to Luke, was written by Luke to a friend named Theophilus. And what Luke has done as a historian, as a man of science, he goes and he talks to eyewitnesses, to all sorts of events that took place in the life of Jesus. He wants to provide Theophilus with a credible account of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he does that, we, we see it in here, and this is very important, especially as we look at this passage. He does that by tying in to this book real people, real events, real places that people would know about. Uh, he talks about um, a man named Corinius, who was the governor of Syria. And he talks about one of the Caesars named Augustus. He talks about, he says, in essence, remember back when, when Caesar Augustus declared that there should be a census of all the world? This is when this occurred, Theophilus. This is when this happened. And he talks about um, the high priest of that day. He talks about Zacharias, who was to be the father of John the Baptist. And he talks about how he's in the temple, and he's serving as the high priest in that time period, and an angel, Gabriel, appears to him. And then he goes on, after talking about the mundane human events, to talking about the heavenly events that occurred in that same time, around that same place, in the lives of ordinary people. And he gives him a credible account. We need to know that. Because we're people of, of rationality. We're people who are people of science. We want, we want some evidence. We want some good stuff to be seen so that we, we can prove this stuff. This is the Word of God. The Word of God proves to us everything that it says by the fact that it proceeds from the very mouth of God. Before we look at that passage, let's turn to the one who had it written, the one who was in that manger. And let's ask him that he would teach us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin to to comprehend and perhaps digest this very familiar passage to us, would you show us something that we perhaps have not seen. Not because we haven't read the words necessarily, but because sometimes our hearts and our minds grow dim and we forget. We forget that we're not just simply speaking into the empty space, but rather we are speaking before the one and only God and that you are here with us, and that you, you hear our prayers, and that you respond, and that you intercede 
Lord Jesus, that you perfect our prayers, O Holy Spirit, and you bring them into conformity with your will. Would you do that even now as we worship you? Father, we do pray for Trip Thompson. We pray for Trip and Susan. We ask that that you would that you would give them the knowledge of your presence with them. That that this this tumor or this growth, we pray that when when Trip goes to Mayo, that they would do their own scans and that they would see that there's nothing there. Father, we, we say those prayers, and we mean them. But no matter how much we mean those prayers, you're the only one that can do them, and you've done it before, and we ask you to do it again. Father, we also pray that you would be with uh, Cheryl and Ford and Nick Canale at the, as they grieve the death of Warren. We ask that you would give them the, the peace that passes understanding. We ask that you, O Holy Spirit of God, would comfort them in their grief, and that you would lift them up, and that you would show them the reality of what we worship even here today, that they would be comforted. We also pray thanking you for your work in John Rowan. Thank you for bringing him back to their home, and we pray that this, this celebration of this season would even be more special to him and to Peggy and to the boys. We pray that they would know that joy, that peace and joy that truly transcend all understanding. Father, you know our hearts. You know that we struggle against the flesh, and we struggle against Satan, and we struggle against this world. And we ask that you would remind us that Jesus came in order that this world, that Satan, that our flesh would be conquered, and that you do accomplish all you intend in your work. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So if you will, open your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. There is something about the, the glory of the Lord that is, that is so astounding. If you remember, it was the glory of the Lord that shone, that radiated, if you will, from Moses when he came down from meeting with the Lord. And, and the people, and Aaron, and everyone drew back in fear at the reflected glory of the Lord. Not the, not the unbridled presence of the glory of the Lord, but the reflected glory. They drew back, and Moses had to veil his face so that he could speak to them the words that had been given him. Well, that same glory has appeared now throughout these first couple of uh, chapters in Luke. As you see the angel Gabriel in the first part of the, of the gospel according to Luke, the angel Gabriel comes in and appears to Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, and he appears to him, and Zechariah is, is fearful, and the angel says to him, just like he did to the shepherds, don't fear. And Zechariah hears the word from the angel that his prayers had been heard, and that they were going to receive a son in their old age, him and Elizabeth. And so as he pondered that and thought about it, he was troubled, and he said, well, how do I know that's true? And the angel said to him, he said, I am Gabriel. (laughs) I have come from standing in the presence of the Lord our God, the Most High God. In other words, are you kidding me? You're, you're, you're sitting here and you're doubting, you're seeing me, you're seeing the glory of the Lord. You are kidding me. I'm standing here, I'm bringing you the word directly from God, but because you did this, because you have doubted, you're not going to talk until John is born. And he was, he was silent. Mary as well had received a, had received a visit from Gabriel. And all the time, the angels keep saying, do not be afraid. And that's when we would have to come back with the shepherds, with Zechariah, with Mary, and go, are you kidding me? (laughs) Do not be afraid. It's an awesome thing to see that reflected glory. Do you believe that it was really there? Luke has gone to great extent to show that he is doing this by talking to eyewitnesses, by people who were present at the time, doing his research. By word of mouth, people are telling him, this is what happened to me, this is what happened to me. And he says, this is what happened. Why do we always say, this is the word of the Lord? Because this is the word of the Lord. But we are rational people, right? Angels. Angels don't appear. Yes, they did. And yes, they do. This is is reality. The shepherds had received the revelation of God, and they believed it. 
How do we know they believed it? Because they went. <laughs> they said, let us go and see this thing that has happened. They didn't say, let's go see if this thing really happened. Let's go see this thing that has happened, which the Lord God has made known to us. That is a, that is a believing heart <laughs> that says that. And so they go, and they, and they see the baby. They see Joseph. They see Mary. And as they are talking to them, these shepherds who are in this dark world, these shepherds are, are telling everybody what had happened to them. They are, they are evangelists. They're speaking the Word of God. They're speaking to the people of God, what God has revealed to them, and they're doing it faithfully, trusting in Him. But they're still in a dark world. Now they have become people of light. They have, been, they have received God's revelation, and they're in a dark world. There are all kinds of darknesses, aren't there? There's the darkness that we see, the, the physical darkness, that is the darkness of the night, and that's frightening. These shepherds were out in the darkness of that night. They were in the darkness of a world that despised them. You do know, I'm sure many of you know, that shepherds were considered to be the least of the least, the untouchables, the, one who, the ones who the world wouldn't believe that they had been called upon to be witnesses, but in their culture, they were not even to be believed or received as witnesses in trials in court. They were to be, they were unclean. They were not accepted into most of the religious services of the day. They were those who were the downcast in the world. They lived in a darkness that many of us in that day or in this day don't know about because we're clean, right? <laughs> we're, we're clean. We sleep in beds. We sleep in uh, nice air-conditioned or heated homes. We have our food ready for us. We're all there, and we're here. We're clean. There are all kinds of darknesses, aren't there, in this present world. We have the darkness of evil. We have the darkness of remaining sin in us. There's the darkness of the sin which surrounds us in this fallen world. We have the darkness of these fallen bodies which we watch as they continually deteriorate and deteriorate all the way into the point when we die. And these bodies are placed into the ground, committed again back to the dust. This is the darkness in which we walk. We have the darkness around us. We have the darkness in us. We have all of these things. But yet, as people who believe in Jesus Christ, we are so-called children of light. So how do we live in this world with the darkness of the world, with darkness within us in times, and the darkness of a culture that does not like us? How do we live as children of light surrounded by darkness? But first, we need to understand why we're in the darkness, why we are in it. At the fall, our first parents lost the knowledge and experience of the goodness of God, of His goodness. We lost that, that fellowship, if you will, with Him, with one another, with the surrounding creation. 
We became powerless to worship, powerless to praise the God with whom our first parents had, had perfect communion as they strolled through the garden. But when they were driven from the garden because of their sin, our first parents were driven from the warmth, the radiance, the comfort of the light, and the shining countenance of the glory of God into the darkness of His judgment in a fallen world. And all their progeny, everyone who would come after them, had been driven out with them. We had lost that fellowship. They were cast out, and so were we. We were cast out from that glorious presence into the darkness of this world. But they received a promise. They received a promise that the seed of the woman, that his heel would be struck by the serpent, but he is, by his heel, he would crush the head of the serpent. And this is the announcement that the shepherds are receiving, that that seed of the woman had come. This was the day, this was that time when, when he would be fulfilled, that he would be provided as a savior to them. And thus God pierced into their darkness, the darkness of the night, most certainly, vividly, but into the darkness of their souls, and they would become children of light. You see, the revelation of God and His light in the darkness provides, shines, reveals His redemption to those who are lost. Certainly. And there may be some of you here, probably are, who don't know him, who don't, who don't have a clue what we're talking about and why we're, we're focusing on this. Why do these Christians all the time come back to this? It's nice. It's pretty. You hear Christmas carols. We have, we have pretty decorations, and we see the trees and the lights out in the neighborhoods and everything else. This is just a part of that cultural thing. We come together, we sing, and then we go home. Not having any clue, really, of the reality that the shepherds had at that time and that night. Because we think, I haven't seen what they saw. Some of you may be thinking that right now. I haven't seen what they saw. I don't know what took place in their lives, or even if it really did. Can I tell you that, that what they saw was the supernatural? They saw the supernatural. They saw what we imagine is there, what we have not Personally, if you have seen it, you can come tell me. But personally, I haven't seen the, the darkness peeled back. I haven't seen the wall of that portion of this room pulled back and seen an angelic chorus singing. I haven't seen that. But you've seen the supernatural. You've just seen it. You're, you've just seen it. You saw it as we were singing God's praises together. As all of these people in this room were singing God's praises together, that doesn't come except for the supernatural having been revealed. 
what you believe is pretty unbelievable by world standards. That you believe that the second person of the Trinity, that he came into this world and became man, fully God and fully man, the Savior, that he, was, that he had lived his life, he was raised up, that he, that he learned, that he became the one who would walk and teach and carried along by the Holy Spirit of God, he would go all the way to his, to his obedience even to death on the cross for people. And that he was buried and that he was raised again from the dead, that he stepped out from the tomb. Folks, I got to tell you, in the world's standards, that's pretty unbelievable. But we're not judging from the world's standards. We're judging from the Word of God. We're going to the Word of God, and the Word of God speaks it into our lives. You've seen the supernatural. Changed lives, changed hearts. And then as the shepherds went and they saw, they still had to go back to work. Can you imagine after all they had seen, after everything that they had, that had been revealed to them, that they had to go back to those fields and they went back differently. Now, they were the same fields. It was the same darkness. It was the same dumb sheep. The same fellow shepherds that they were walking with. Everything was the same, except they weren't the same. They had received that revelation from, and seen the glory of the Lord reflected to them from these angels, and they saw through the darkness what God had revealed to them, but that didn't change them. Do you realize that? They, they were motivated. They believed it, but it didn't changed them. They were changed when they saw the personification of the glory of the Lord and the baby Jesus in the stable. As they saw him, they were changed. And they went back to all of that, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. They, they were changed. You're going to leave this room today. We're all going to go leave this room today. We're going to leave this room, and we're going back out there. Will you go differently? Will you go back out there glorifying and praising God for all that you have seen and all that you have heard? In my family's description of me sometimes, they call me Eeyore. Uh, they call me Eeyore because I forget these things. Um, I look at the things around me. John is not Eeyore. Uh, I can be Eeyore um, because I forget. I allow the things of this world 
to, to cloud my view of what God has revealed sometimes. Sometimes I will allow the darkness of, of churches and church leaders moving into a progressive ideology to cloud the reality of a Savior who declared that the gates of hell would not prevail against His church. I, I allow the reality of a tidal wave of political corruption, of rage, of crime, of division, of violence to cloud the brightness of His promise to bring His kingdom with power one day. I allow this evil acts of evil men who assault and slaughter men, women, and children of all ages in a distant land to cloud the reality of His Word that He said in His promise to us that He would never leave us, that He would never forsake us. I allow the reality of death and the lives of His people to darken the promise of Him who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I allow the reality of my own sin and my own death to cloud the promise of my Savior that all that the Father has given me will come to me and I will raise them up on the last day, and no one will snatch them from my hand. That's supernatural. But then patiently, lovingly, He brings me back into this gathering, into this gathering of His people, and I hear my voice joining with your voices, singing His praises, singing out to Him, praying together, our voices as one going up before Him. I come back into this place and I see the reality of the, of the bread and of the wine and the reality uh, that those communicate to me, to us. I hear the preaching of His Word and how His Spirit takes that Word and applies it to me and changes me. And it is if, by His Holy Spirit, He condescends to my condition and He says, he says to me, or He says to you, it's real. <laughs> This is real. As you hear my people singing, remember, this is real. As you take the bread and you take the wine, remember that this is real. As you hear His Word preached, remember that this is real. And He says to me, He says, Brian, listen, the reality of my coming is more real than any of that if that's possible. It's more real. You see, that's the supernatural. Christian, do you believe in the supernatural? Francis Schaeffer, years ago, was flying on one of the old DC-4s, the four-prop airplane that they used to fly across transatlantic flights, and he said as they were flying, two engines on one wing went out, and they began to descend. And 
Schaefer said that they were instructed by the co-pilot who came out in a rather panicked voice who said to them, he said, everyone needs to put on their life jackets. We're going to crash into the ocean. <laughs> I mean, it's quite an announcement. And as Schaefer was sitting there, he began to pray. And unbeknownst to him, he said, the SOS had been picked up on one of the radio uh, broadcasts. And it went out across the country that there was a DC-4 that was uh, crash landing into the Atlantic Ocean. Edith Schaefer and her children heard the radio broadcast. And Edith, who was very intuitive, very filled with the spirit woman, I'm told, she said, I believe that's Francis's flight. And so she gathered the children in and they began to pray. And he said they had descended so low that he could see in the darkness, he could see the white caps on the waves in the ocean. And then suddenly both engines kicked in and they, and they flew safely to Newfoundland and landed. And as he was getting off the plane, Schaefer said to the pilot, he said, can you tell me what happened? And the pilot said, listen, he said, rarely if ever, do we lose both engines on one wing? But I can tell you that almost never, if that happens, do they come back on. Schaefer looked at him and he said, I know how they came back on. And the pilot said, how? And he said, I prayed. My father started your engines. And the pilot just looked at him with the look that you're probably thinking you've seen before. And he, and he just turned around and walked off. Schaefer was making the point that we live in a supernatural world. And that so many Christians believe that the only, there are only two times that we come into contact with the supernatural. Once when we are redeemed and once when we die. Folks. That's not our faith. Our faith is that we have a God who intervenes into affairs of men, that he, that he is powerful and enters into our lives, into our world, and He reveals Himself to us and makes us alive in Christ, yes, but He also constantly is caring for His children, driving them more and more into that image of Jesus Christ. And he answers prayers. And he answers prayers of people who are, find themselves trapped in the darknesses of this world. Do you know that God? Do you know that Jesus? Do you know him? Have you seen him? Have you entered into that relationship with him? Maybe. You don't realize your need. There's a woman who wrote a letter. This was back in the 80s, I believe. You may have read it. She wrote it into, as an article, I believe, into Christianity Today. I have looked, and I cannot find the original source of this. But this is the letter that she wrote, the article she wrote. She said, we were the only family with children in the restaurant. I set Eric in a high chair and noticed everyone was quietly eating and talking. Suddenly, Eric squealed with glee and pounded his fat baby hands on the high chair tray. 
His eyes were wide with excitement and his mouth was open in a toothless grin. My baby was wiggling and giggling with great merriment. I looked around and saw the source of his happiness. And to my great discomfort, it was a man with a tattered rag of a coat, dirty, greasy, and worn. His pants were baggy with a zipper at half-mast, and his toes poked out of would-be shoes. His shirt was dirty, and his hair was uncombed and unwashed. His whiskers were too short to be called a beard, and his nose was so covered with varicose veins that it looked like a road map. We were too far away to smell him, but I was certain he smelled. His hands waved and flapped on loose wrists. Hi there, baby. Hi there, big boy. I see you, Buster, the man said to my baby. My husband and I exchanged anxious looks. What do we do, I mouthed. With my, while my precious baby continued to laugh and wave and pound his tray, everyone in the restaurant noticed and looked at us and then at the man. The old geezer was creating a scene with my beautiful baby. Our meal came, and the man began shouting from across the room, Do you know Pat-a-Cake? Do you know Peekaboo? And then to everyone else in the diner, Hey, look, he knows Peekaboo. Nobody seemed to think the old man was cute. He was obviously drunk. My husband and I were embarrassed. We ate quickly in silence, all except for Eric, who was running through his entire repertoire of entertainment for the admiring Skid Row bum, who in turn reciprocated with his cute comments. We finally got through the meal and headed for the door. My husband went to pay the check and suggested that I meet him at the car. The old man stood poised between me and the door. I silently prayed, Lord, just let me out of here before he speaks to me or Eric. As I drew closer to the man, I turned my back, trying to sidestep him and avoid any air that he might be exhaling. As I did, Eric leaned over my arm, reaching with both arms in a baby's pick-me-up position. Before I could stop him, Eric had propelled himself from my arms into the hands of the dirty and probably germ-infested bum. Suddenly, a very old and very smelly man and a young baby were embraced in a gigantic cheek-to-cheek hug. Eric, in an act of total trust, love, and submission, laid his tiny head upon the man's ragged shoulder. The man closed his eyes, and I saw tears hover beneath his lashes. His old hands, full of grime, pain, and hard labor, gently, so very gently, cradled my baby's bottom and stroked his back. I doubt if any two people have ever loved so deeply for so short a time. I stood awestruck. He rocked and cradled Eric in his arms for a brief moment, 
And then his eyes opened and set squarely on mine. He said in a firm, commanding voice, you take care of this baby. Somehow, I managed to choke out, I will, from a throat that contained a stone the size of a golf ball. He gently pried Eric from his chest, reluctantly, longingly, as though he were in pain. I received my baby, and the man said, Thank you. Thank you for letting your baby love me. I said nothing more than a muttered thanks. And with Eric in my arms, I hurried to the car. My husband came to the car and with a perplexed look on his face asked, Why on earth are you crying? I looked up and all I could have managed to choke out of my not filled throat was, Because... I'm the dirty, filthy bum, and Jesus is the baby. Do you think you're too clean? Do you think you're too good? He has peeled back the darkness. What about you? What about you? Have you seen your need of the Savior? Have you, have you recognized that you must have him? It's not a matter of you can. It's a matter of you must. You must believe in him. You must put your trust in him. You must put your trust in him that he was the one who was to come. Paul tells us. He says to us that we all have sinned and we are all falling short of his glory. Do you recognize that? See it now. We all need him. He has already peeled back the darkness. And he has already shown you the truth. Believe in him. Trust in him. But Mary. But Mary. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. For what? For what? For the fact that there was going to come a day, and as Simeon would pronounce to her in prophecy, as she would come into the temple when they were going to have the baby Jesus circumcised, the Simeon came up and took the child from her and blessed him. And he told her that this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Add the word Mary. So that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Mary was going to be standing watching this baby be crucified. She was treasuring up these things because she knew that that day would come. You see, 
God gives His revelation of the supernatural to those who need to be redeemed, and He gives His revelation of the supernatural to those who already are redeemed, that those who need to be redeemed would be saved, and that those who are redeemed would be strengthened. We must have the supernatural revelation from God. Winston Churchill famously said, we occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of us pick ourselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. Have you received the truth? Will you manage to leave here hurried out as if nothing had happened? Back out into this world. Will it cloud your view of the supernatural? Jesus really came. He really died. And he's really coming back. At just the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those under the law and adopt dirty, filthy bums who hated him, and make them to be sons and daughters of the living God. Therefore, we sing joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Remember that and sing it as if you really do believe it.